listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. It is good to be here with you. Um, It's even better that you're there because if I was preaching without you there, that would be awkward. Um, But we we are journeying into, we're beginning crossing the threshold into the season of Lent. And before I say, uh, explain what that is, uh, I wanna just say a word. Um, I, I was invited to be a part of a panel in the Woodlands this weekend about the kind of the future of the church and our denomination. And it, one of the things that was really neat was just the opportunity to reconnect with a lot of old friends, with people that Jacqueline and I knew um, during our time in seminary at Asbury uh, Seminary. And Jessica Legrone is the dean of the chapel there, and she has been right in the heart of the revival that's been taking place across the street and then spilling out and all around the world, literally. Uh, if you're not aware, you can look it up on the news, but it's kind of taken, uh, taken the world by storm. And uh, the best article I've seen is a Christianity Today article that came out this past week that covers it. Uh, so if you want more. But basically, a couple of weeks ago, uh, at Asbury College, across the street, um, a revival broke out. And it was really simple. A bunch of, uh, a group of students, in fact, just one student at the altar after chapel, after a normal chapel service uh, on a Wednesday, one of the students came forward and just felt like he needed to stay and pray. And then a few more lingered. There were about 10 to 15 that lingered around. And, and then the Spirit just started to, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit became real and palpable and uh, students started to repent and turn to God and cry out to God. I think one of the key words through this whole thing has been a desperate hunger that nothing will stop them from, from crying out to God and, and seeking God's presence. And, and just a manifestation of the Spirit began, um, God began to move. And you know, Jessica told me there were students, um, she was sitting in her office uh, that afternoon, and her phone just started to blow up with text messages because uh, everybody was like, do you know what's happening? There's, there's a history of this kind of movement at Asbury, and there have been people praying that God would do a new thing in our day because there is a hunger, there is a desire. There, we've been through so much brokenness, and we're just, as a generation that's crying out to God and, and seeking God in a new way. And so Jessica's getting all these texts, and she's like, what is going on? And she she said there were other people, um, students, like think about this, college students who were in class who had no clue what was going on in the chapel and walked up to their professor and said, I don't know, this is strange, but I just feel like God is telling me to go to the chapel in the middle of class. And they walked out of class and pretty soon there were 250 and 300 students and then it grew and by the second day there were thousands of people all over the streets and, and at, at some point l- last week they had to actually shut down this little town of Wilmore 
uh, and wouldn't allow any traffic in because there were just thousands of people from Australia and Russia and India and South America and there are revivals breaking out in foreign lands, even in Texas, right? I mean, like every, all the college campuses, I saw this like prayer and renewal and revival and there have been questions about what the right word to use is and there have been critics and all of this um, and, and we don't really know. The word revival historically has been used as a movement of God that, that you can't really identify until you see fruit, okay? And that's fair. Uh, but I believe, and, and actually I believe that's important because what we know is we've seen an outpouring of God's spirit and Jessica gave witness to it and told us many more stories and I have others and I talked to J.D. Walt who was at the State of the Church speaking and he was right at the center. Seedbed was a main player kind of behind the scenes. Um, so I said, J.D., really what happened is the state of the church at Foundry was the beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that led to Asbury. You realize this, right? Because it was right before that. And, um, and we had a long conversation and, and, and on Thursday just on the phone about his experiences being there and as he comes back. Um, one of the really cool things he mentioned to me was that about a year ago, uh, they planned the collegiate day of prayer. I don't know if you knew this was a thing, but across the country they have a day of, like the national day of prayer, but it's collegiate day of prayer. And, and across campuses, uh, they gather for a time of prayer and students lead that. Well, last year, a year ago, they selected what college to lead the day of prayer this year? Asbury was chosen. And so it created kind of this bookend, naturally, J.D. said, to, to wind down what was happening in Hughes Auditorium uh, on the campus of Asbury, to kind of wind down that part of the revival. But let me be clear, God is doing something in our day. God is doing something in our church, and I sense it here at Foundry too. In fact, that was part of why I didn't go. Like I, there was a, a, I had this impulse to go there, to experience it, to witness it, but I just felt like the Spirit was saying, no, you don't need to go there because it's coming here, because it's spreading. And it's not gonna always look like it looks, a 24-hour praise and worship for two weeks. That's not what I'm saying it's gonna look like every time. But what God did in that place was prepare us for a season, I believe, of fruitfulness as a deepening desire and hunger for God starts to shake us from the sleep that we've been in because a revival is about bringing to life what has been dead. It's about fruitful fruitfulness of the spirit that brings life and brings joy and brings hope. That's the other word that I just keep hearing is this word hope. And I know as a people, we've been living in a, in a time, in a season when it seems like there's, there's no hope. When it seems like, where is God in all the mess and in all the chaos? And, and we wonder where God is. And, and I realize like without, without really coming, uh, being fully aware of it, that I've been living even in a, in a season of, of almost hopelessness. Right? I, know in, I know in my mind what, who God is and what God can do, but, but this seems to be ushering in a new season of hope for God's people. That if God shows up, there is no telling what can happen. And God does show up each and every day when we are open to him. The manifestation of his spirit might look different. But these last few days, God's been giving me this, this deeper sense of of hope, that if we would just linger, friends, 
If we would just not just come to worship and, and sing some songs and, and hear the word, but if we, will, if we will linger in his presence, if we will be a little bit more hungry for him, if we will stay, and, and that was the conversation, part of the conversation I had with JD is just this, this, what he's seeing around other places too is just this lingering. That's how it happened, that students just, they didn't leave, they lingered and they stayed and they began to talk and be honest and authentic and, and repent of sin and, and turn to one another and, and seek God in this deeper way and God showed up. In the last few days, I've been just praying that God will continue to do that work and that it will come to life here in us and that we, we will just linger in the presence of God and in the community of others because part of it is living in, in community. That's what happened, right? These students together, when a group of people, it's not just one person who's hungry, but together when we're hungry for God's presence and we band together and we come together and we share our lives with one another and we're open to one another. God can do amazing things. So how timely for us to launch all these groups, like groups, um, tons of groups launching today at Foundry. Thank you for those who have jumped into them uh, Sunday morning and during the week as part of our Lenten journey. Now, I said we're starting Lent, and I, all of this coincides just so perfectly for a hunger for God, for a, a desperation for God, for, for his spirit to do a, a work in us, to bring us to life, because Lent, that's what Lent is all about. It's about acknowledging our need for him. I know for a lot of us, like we grew up in, some of you didn't grow up in church, uh, and, and I'm, I'm so glad that you found your way here. Some of you grew up in lots of different church traditions and backgrounds, and some of, some of you may have grown up in a tradition where you celebrated Lent and you know what that is, uh, but sometimes that can actually be a, a, an obstacle to truly celebrating the intent of what, what Lent is intended to do and invite us into. For others of us, we didn't grow up in a church and it seems awkward or weird or unnecessary or ritualistic or whatever. I wanna just invite you to just leave all your preconceived ideas of what Lent is at the door and let me walk you through this morning what I believe the Spirit would want us to invite us into an experience that leads us to a fuller celebration of Easter because that's what it is. It's the 40 days, okay, Lent, which by the way, Luis and I were talking about this apparently with a Southern accent, Lent, L-I-N-T and L-E-N-T both sound the same when I say them. So just to be clear, I'm not talking about what's in your belly button. I'm talking about 40 days, not counting Sunday, before Easter. Okay, we together now? Okay, some of you are like, what kind of church did I come to today? 40 days, not counting Sundays, that lead us to Easter. 40 days is a biblical number, and it 40 days is always about an encounter with God. 40 days is always about a time in which God is going to do something. There's 40 days that it rained when Noah's in the ark. There's 40 days that Jesus spends in the wilderness. There's 40 days all through scripture. There's this, this common theme of 40 days is an encounter with God, of God moving and acting and doing something significant. Um, if, you want, if you want more during this series, our series is loosely based on a book that was just released by Dan Wilt, another friend of ours through Seedbed. Uh, Jesus in the Wild is the name of the book, and you can pick a copy up um, online. And I would encourage you to follow along, jump in a group like we've said. 
But we're gonna anchor ourselves in this passage of scripture in Luke chapter four. We're gonna just, there's so much. There's so much in this one, uh, this one story in the beginning of Jesus's ministry that ultimately leads him to the cross. But, but we have to understand what's happening right up front right here. So some context. Uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes on the scene. John's this wild character. He wears, you know, funky clothes, camel hair. He eats locusts. It's this weird diet, you know. And we read that and we're like, "What in the world?" We don't know what to make of it. But, but in, the, in he was part of, we believe, part of a sect of Judaism uh, that was known for um, for living without, with for for living without all of the, the things that we think we need in life for living in the wild and survival. And this is who John is, and it's this wild kind of prophetic voice. And, and they believed that they were to be prophetic to the people of Israel, that they were to be the voice crying out, calling people to repentance. And that's what John does. John is walking around in funky clothes and and, and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These are Isaiah's words. This is the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John's calling people to repentance. He's calling people to be baptized. Baptism was not something that was invented by the early church. Baptism was a a ritual washing of, of cleansing of your sin. And so people were lining up from all around, confessing their sins and being baptized. And one day, now John, I forgot this detail, John's Jesus's cousin. We read that in the book of Luke. John's Jesus's cousin. And so Jesus shows up one day to be baptized by John. Now, John knows Jesus is the one that's coming behind him. He's not the one, but he's the voice preparing the way for the one. And when Jesus shows up, John's like, whoa, no way, uh-uh, I'm not baptizing you. You should baptize me. I mean, think about what Jesus, did Jesus need to be baptized? If this is a ritualistic Baptism was about cleansing of sin. Jesus didn't need to be cleansed of sin. Jesus didn't need baptism. Why did he come to John asking for baptism? It's no wonder that John responds the way he does. John's like, whoa, what are you thinking? You don't need to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus is like, cuz, hold on just a minute. Thank you. The first group didn't laugh at that. They didn't think that was funny. But Jesus is like, this is all part of the plan. This must happen so that it will be fulfilled. And what he's talking about and what we're gonna see in his baptism is the coming together of two titles that in the Old Testament were, were, uh, were used to talk about the anointed one, the one that would come, the Messiah. And that is that he, one, in one, he is, he is the son of man was the first one. The son of man was that representative, that new Adam that represented all of humanity, that came as a mediator between God and human beings. And so Jesus is baptized so that he relates, he connects, he, he embraces his humanity, that he is one of us. This is the power of his baptism, that he is one of us. And, and so then he is baptized in 
uh, in uh, the Jordan. And, and it says in, in verse 16 of chapter 3, Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice of, from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. There's a lot right here to unpack. But I want, you to, I want you to catch this. I don't want you to miss this. What we are seeing right here in the baptism of Jesus is a mirror of the, of the Garden of Eden. Think about it. The voice of God was like, uh, the Spirit of God was, was like a dove hovering over the waters. Does that sound familiar? The Spirit hovering over the waters. The voice of God speaks. And God said what? Let there be life. And God speaks over his son, Jesus, and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the perfect unity, union of God in three, the Trinity. It was found in the garden in that creative life. You know, the Garden of Eden is a picture of flourishing, flourishing life, when God and humanity are one. And when we experience all that our hearts in this life are longing for, that so often this world falls short of. And God is coming on the scene here, and he is re re connecting with humanity. He is initiating a mission to restore what was broken in Eden. And he is saying, this is the one who will do it. This is the new Adam. This is the one who will be faithful. Now, his baptism is this high moment. His baptism begins his earthly ministry. His baptism, though, is not where we stay. The story must go on, and, and it says in Luke 4, 1 and 2, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, important, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, there's a lot here as well. The desert, what is it? The wilderness, what is it? What part does it play in the whole of Scripture? What part does it play? How do we relate to the desert and the wilderness? Now, when, when you think of wilderness, I know a lot of us. Like, even when I Googled, like, I Googled wilderness this week. I'm like, what is the wilderness, right? If you Google the wilderness, you get, like, Montana or Tahoe. Who doesn't want to go there? Amen? Especially when you live in Houston, right? It's this beautiful, serene, picturesque place. The wilderness, the wilderness for us, a lot of times, we draw images of a place far from the chaos, far from the noise of the city. It's a place to, 
to kind of um, to clear our minds and for spiritual renewal. We go to the wilderness, right? We go to the wilderness to commune with God. Listen, the wilderness is just the opposite of that in the Bible. Some of you, I see some of our pilgrims from Israel here today, right? We've, which by the way, we're going again next year. Sign up, it's on your Lenten guide, okay? If you want your light, your faith to be changed forever, if you wanna read the Bible and it, for, the, for you to come to life to the Bible, am I, not, am I not right, right? I need a witness over here, amen, they're with me. Okay, it's life-changing. And one of the, one of the places that, that stuck in my mind is the Judean wilderness. And we go up this hill and we look over the hill and you look into what looks more like that. With rolling hills, this looks a little more like the western US, but just trust me, it looks a lot more like this uh, than it does Montana or Tahoe. Here's the wilderness, friends. The wilderness is a place that is totally inhospitable to life and to flourishing. The wilderness is the place that you cannot survive unless the Spirit of God dwells in you. The wilderness is where the Spirit leads Jesus so that he can overcome the curse that was brought on by Adam and Eve. Jesus goes full of the Holy Spirit, being declared by God the Father as his son, as his beloved. He goes into the wilderness, and God has just said, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. You are the son of God. You are my beloved. And, and, and he knows this mission that is before him, but he must go through the wilderness and be tested and come out faithful in the way that Adam couldn't. And the enemy tempts him in different ways. In the, the, this showdown in the wilderness is what we're gonna really unpack over, over the next week, uh, next weeks as we journey to Easter. So what does, uh, when God the Father calls us by our true name, there seems to be this kind of threefold challenge that the enemy always comes with, and I want you to hang on to this. The enemy challenges our, our identity we see this in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He challenges the identity. How does he do this? He says, if you really are. Does that sound familiar from Eden too? If you really are. Sounds a whole lot like, did God really say? If you really are who God says you are, then prove it. Then do this. And he challenges them in three ways. The enemy challenges our belovedness. God has just spoken his love, his identity, and his love over Jesus, and the enemy challenges those things. And ultimately, because he challenges those things, he challenges his purpose as well. Now, friends, when you, when you make a decision or when you devote yourself to God or when you, when, when you move towards God, there will always come a voice challenging the identity of who God says you are, of your purpose. The voice of the enemy can be deceiving, and yet Jesus is faithful. 
Jesus is faithful in spite of the test because he was full of the Spirit. The deserts in our life will come. The wilderness, friends, is not a good place to be. And I know some of us have gone through very difficult, barren places. Whether it's infertility, whether it's a doctor telling you that it's cancer, or giving you a timeline for a loved one, whether it's a phone call in the middle of the night that changes the rest of your life, whether it's a spouse telling you they don't love you anymore. Friends, these are the human wilderness that can challenge and shake our faith. It's not a place you wanna live. It's not hospitable to life. And the enemy will come to you in those moments and challenge your identity, challenge your belovedness. How many of us have, have felt like God was far, far away in the wilderness? We have, and we've questioned, why God? Why God? The wilderness is not a good place, but but what scripture teaches us is the wilderness is also the place where we know what it is to be human. And yet the spirit does his best work in our brokenness. So what's the key? The key is, first of all, to hang on to the truth of God's word more than we hang on to the way that we feel in the circumstances. You see, if Jesus hadn't been baptized and, and hadn't had gone into the wilderness full of the Spirit, maybe he would have been like Adam and Eve. I don't know. But because he clung to what was written, remember in the challenge each time the, the devil challenges him and what does Jesus respond with? It is written. That's why we wanna journey through the Bible uh, beginning this week, we have a new thing, Bible 365. Over 100 people have committed to, to read through the Bible in a year. We're gonna do an orientation tomorrow, so you have like today to sign up if you still wanna do that. I would encourage you to, because we need to know God's word, his story, the whole of it, not just bits and pieces, but to understand, to hold on to the identity and the purpose that God has for our lives, especially in those seasons when we feel challenged or when we question but let's look at what happens. Jesus is driven into the wilderness and this challenge, this test becomes the thing that prepares him for the cross. You know, his darkest moment was probably in Gethsemane. That was darker and more difficult than even the wilderness. And what did he feel and sense on the cross? I'm not gonna unpack that, he's reciting the psalm. I don't believe that God's presence was not with him in that moment that he was any less God, but he said he recites the psalmist in this human emotion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talk about a wilderness. Friends, it's not just, it's all of us. You know, I've experienced my own wilderness. When my mom passed away at 
when I was 27. Shattered my world. Changed everything. And yet, it was a season of, of, of difficulty and a season that I would never choose. None of us choose to go into the wilderness. But if we will allow him, God will do things in the wilderness that will shape our faith in a more profound way than when we're on the mountaintop. So the question really is not whether we will face a wilderness. And yes, there's a question of where God is in the wilderness, but I wanna refocus your attention on this other question of what will you do in the wilderness? Because you cannot survive in the wilderness, but apart from the grace of God. In fact, that's kind of the, the storyline of the wilderness all through the scriptures is that anytime someone goes through the wilderness, when they survive, it's proof that they are with God, that God is with them, that his spirit is upon them in a special way because how else would they survive? And that becomes the purpose of their life. That becomes the purpose of Jesus' life, not to avoid the wilderness, but to storm the gates of hell, to challenge the lies of the enemy, and to revive dead things, and to bring us life. And he wants us to know Eden, but we will walk through wilderness. I wanna invite the band to come up, and I wanna just enter a time of reflection and just kinda lingering in the spirit as he leads you. Maybe you go to the prayer wall during this last song, but I know, I know, friends, see, here, here's the thing, Lent is a season to let go of the things we think will sustain us in the wilderness, but will not. You don't just quit drinking coffee or Coke or you know, sweets or chocolate or whatever it is. Like That can be a discipline, but the point of the discipline is not to make you righteous. The point of the discipline is to remind yourself what you really need, who you really need, to be without challenges us to turn our eyes to the one who has everything. And so may this be a journey to the celebration of Easter that he overcame death. But we gotta go through the wilderness to really know what it's like. Let's pray, bow your heads. God, we thank you for the hope that you're stirring in our hearts. We thank you for being a God who comes to us who knows pain, who knows suffering, who knows death, and yet does not lose, even to death. That you hold the victory. And Lord, for some of us today, I pray this would just be a reminder. Maybe Lent is a, a, Lent is a season, maybe we're entering this hopeful and, it, and, and we're not entering it in a dark place and yet, Lord, that's part of life. And so we pray, God, that in the season that we would embrace the identity that you bless us with as a beloved one, as a child of your purpose, a child of light, to point others to light. And so redirect our devotion and our attention to you. And Lord, Lord stir a hunger in us. And God, for some of us, hunger's not the problem. For some of us, we are in the wilderness and we are without. And life 
has come undone and the pieces are all on the floor and we wonder what we'll do with them. And we wonder sometimes, Lord, where you are. And this is the power of those moments that you meet us when we cry out to you, when we are desperate for you, you meet us, not to solve all of our problems, but to give us strength and courage to overcome and ultimately to give us a witness. And so God, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit right now. I pray there'd be a, a fresh awakening, a fresh revival, a fresh uh, outpouring of your Spirit on your people who are here now seeking you, that as we hunger for you, as we thirst for you, that you would meet us here, that your Spirit would revive us, and bring us life. Lord, we need it. We need it for our own souls, we need it for our kids. We need it for students. We need it for our community. Lord, we need you. There's a world desperate for you. And I pray, God, that we would, we would turn to you. Or as funny as it sounds, give us the strength to admit we can't do it in our own strength. Give us the courage and the vulnerability to be honest about our need for you. And even as we sing, may you usher in your presence in a way that brings healing, hope, that restores life. Lord, this is our confession that we have we've tried to manage that ourselves and we give up. We invite you to be everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.